We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What up, what up? Welcome into another edition of Greenwood Denby. As always, this is your boy Will. We are checking in. How you doing? How you living? Joining me today, my podcasting cousin from across the pond, the Capitan of the Taylor gang, Adam Taylor. What's going on, Adam? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. I see me flex, but no muscle was there, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're bursting through the seams, man. We, we, we can all see it here. If you're watching on YouTube, Maybe you're going to catch in that as well. In the midriff, <laughs> not in the arms. I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. How about you, bro? I'm great, man. And today we got one of my favorite guests that we have on the show. Each and every time we play the Raptors, we try to bring this man on. He has a PhD in covering the Toronto Raptors. He's a reporter Sadly. for SDPN Sports, host of the Objective Basketball Podcast. It's our good friend, Esfandiar Barahini, who we just call S. What yep. up, S? What's going on, man? What's going on? Yeah, I know. PhD in covering the Toronto Raptors this year is not necessarily the most proud thing I could say about myself. But I appreciate you guys, man. I appreciate you guys having me on, as always. It's dope to talk to you guys. Uh, Feels like you guys are the only Celtics fans or Celtics coverers of basketball who actually enjoy talking to me. Every time I tweet about the Celtics, it's like, just a parade of people who are like, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. <laughs> it's like, all right, man, I guess I won't tweet about the Celtics anymore. So it is what it is. I guess Dude, the fan all- base reputation is holding up then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, bro, like, I'd say 90% of people that follow me are Celtics fans. And when I tweet about the Celtics, all I get is, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's just the the Celtics Twitter experience is just yeah probably pieces I, I think Celtics Twitter is just therapy I think that's all it is I mean I mean honestly we're probably a fan base that needs more therapy and I think that's <laughs> our version of going through it is and you know and this is the thing with the Celtics right so Celtics just locked up the two seed after taking down the Raptors the other night 97 93 we'll talk about that here in in just a little bit but you go throughout the season and the Celtics have had some really really confounding losses but they're still going to end up with with the two seed which is obviously you know an awesome achievement 
it for this season. But you see these losses that come up and you play 82 games. Some of these things are just going to happen, damn it. Like, it's really hard to get that through the minds of some. But I feel mm-hmm. like when that does, Twitter is just an explosion. It's a bomb yeah. that goes like off those, for those, those losses, uh Those losses to the Magic, I remember, what was it, December or January? Yeah, we had two back-to-back home losses yeah, yeah, against them. Yeah. We went one and three against the Magic this year, by the way. Just yeah. throwing that out there. <laughs> I love like that. <laughs> magic are good man i mean that's the thing yeah. so believe me greg and i have had a a deep discussion on this about you know the, i mean the magic have been really good the second half of the season but yeah. i don't want to go too far off the magic here because that's not what we're here to talk about today we want to yeah. talk about the raptors we got s like i said he's got a phd we got to use this man wisely here so we want to talk about the raptors we'll talk about the larger playoff picture here in a little bit but as i mentioned celtics are coming off a 97 93 win against the raptors who s really needed this game they're kind of battling for their play-in lives you're trying to get out of that nine seed and this is one of the cool parts about the play-in tournament right is that nine versus eight seed is such a dramatic difference so let's kind of just look at this not necessarily from just that game perspective but this raptors team they didn't have necessarily championship expectations coming into the season, but I think you looked at the East and you were like, okay, there's the Sixers, the Celtics, the Bucks, and everyone was like, maybe the Heat. Let's see what the Cavs look like in this first season. And then right below that was kind of the the Knicks, Raptors, and you know a few others, maybe the Bulls if Lonzo ever got healthy, which is another sad story all to itself. And the Raptors just have been kind of a mess all year. So so give us yeah. you know give us the view from your perspective. What's gone wrong with the season for the Raptors? Man, I, I think there's there's I mean, where do you start with the Raptors this year is is really the answer to that question. I think there's been so much they have been consistently one of the most inconsistent teams in the entire NBA. Um, you know, whether that be their defensive approach, you know, they like to play this very chaotic read and react type of defense that is like hounding ball handlers, they're sending double teams consistently at guys, they're trying to like force the ball out of your hands, force turnovers, right? And that works. That that does work for the fair share, but it also makes you exert a lot of energy. It's it's a it's a taxing style of defense, and that's hard to carry throughout an 82 game season. You've seen that. I think last year was sort of the 99th percentile outcome for this Raptors team because they were good defensively. Their guys were hitting shots. You had Fred VanVleet become an All Star. He was. Uh, some people would argue he had the best shooting season. Uh, last season, like one of the best shooting seasons last season. You had Gary Trent Jr. who was coming into his own, obviously Scotty Barnes becoming a rookie of the year. And then this season has been the complete opposite of that. It's it's as if everything that has been able to go wrong has gone wrong with this team, whether it be Scotty working through some kinks in his second year and trying to figure out and develop himself, obviously trying to figure out what the counters are to having more defensive attention onto him whether it be Pascal Siakam going through the lulls of of the NBA season and figuring out how he can consistently be that guy because the the start of the year man he was phenomenal but he's he's been through some lulls now and it makes you wonder okay how can he consistently be that guy he was in October and December and and November it, it comes down to the fact that these guys just play a taxing style of basketball it's not sustainable to play the way they've played through 82 games and expect this team to consistently be a great defensive team, consistently be able to find and get open looks. So that that's really what it comes down to. And it has a lot of Raptors fans. You mentioned therapy for the Celtics. I mean, Raptors Twitter is, is very similar in the sense that like they are questioning whether Nick Nurse is the right coach moving forward. They're questioning whether this core is the right core moving forward. 
And a lot of those questions will be answered this summer. But I think if you're looking at overall big picture with the Raptors, um, it's it's tough to say that this season has been anything but convincing that there are a lot of questions to be had when it comes to this Raptors team, if any of that made sense. The Nick Nurse thing is really interesting, right? Because I remember having a conversation, must have been about two, three months ago at this point, where it's like, and we, yeah, because we were heading into the trade deadline. And I was thinking, like, if they trade, if the Raptors traded Ananobi or they trade whoever, like Fred Van Vliet or whatever, Nurse to me is definitely a winning coach. He's a coach you put on a team that's ready to compete for a championship. I'm not so sure he's the guy I'd want leading a rebuild. Yeah, but developing, then, yeah. But then you look at like Scotty Barnes and you're like, well, you guys need to retool at least around Scotty and make because this is going to be his team. Whether or not people want it to be Siakam first and then we're going to delay Scotty Barnes inevitably, inevitably taking over that mantle, you need to start retooling. And maybe Nurse just isn't that guy because he, you put him on a, on a Lakers or a Clippers, he can probably get you better results than what we're seeing from them at the moment. I just don't think he'd be the guy, as you said, due to the tax in basketball. Feels a little bit like maybe he's running guys into the ground. Maybe mm-hmm. the Nurse isn't the guy there. But on the flip side, mm-hmm. I thought the same thing about Tom Thibodeau, and he seems to have figured it out with New York. So maybe there's a middle ground that I haven't seen. Yeah. How do you feel about it? I will say, I think we should afford, like, you know, we think we talk about players and how players grow, right? Like players develop, players figure things out, but also like coaches need to develop and figure themselves out and be, and learn through this process. I'm sure you guys as, as a rookie head coach right now, Joe Missoula are also saying like, Hey, this is a rookie head coach, but he has back to back years, by the way, of rookie right, head back coaches. to back. Yeah, exactly. And, and like there is a process there of developing and figuring out who you are. I know from from following a lot of Celtics Twitter that some of the like the late game decision making is something you guys question. And that's fair because he's a young coach. He's a guy who's figuring things out. Nurse, on the other hand, is a coach who has been there, done that. He's been doing this. I think he, he's been with the Raptors for 10 seasons, if you include the assistant time that he's done as well. So. He's gotten so used to where he is right now that maybe a change in scenery, maybe a change in where he is, who are the guys he's coaching, will be will will give him the opportunity to adapt a little bit and change his own style. Similar to Tibbs. I think that's that's kind of what we've seen with Tom Thibodeau recently is like, hey, yes, he is still Tibbs. He is still gonna expect guys to to play a certain way and and rebound the ball in a certain way, right? But he has changed in his approach. He's more willing to play the younger guys. He's more willing to throw out an Emmanuel quickly, et cetera. So I think like coaches are, are able to grow just as much as we talk about how players can develop. And when it comes to nurse, I guess I'll just say one thing. I think he hasn't been afforded. He hasn't been given the best roster this year. Um, and I think that is also part of the equation. When you look at it, I completely agree with you. Nick nurse is a wartime general. He's not a general in times of peace. And a Raptors broadcaster actually told me that like earlier last season there, I was like, Hey, what's the difference between Dwayne Casey and Nick nurse? You know, that was that everybody was talking about that when the Raptors won the championship. And he's like, Dwayne Casey is a general in times of peace. And Nick nurse is a guy you could go to war with. And the Raptors, aren't trying to go to war right now. Yes, they're trying to compete for a playing spot, but I think a lot of it is development. It's figuring out who you are, what you can be. And maybe Nurse isn't the right type of coach for that. So 
Yeah, and you're kind of seeing that, right, with Wayne Casey in in Detroit right now, right, with that yeah. young team. And I think they're another we talked about. We briefly touched on Orlando. I think them and Detroit are two of the most promising young futures that that we have in the league. Real quick before we move off Nick Nurse, I just have a question that I think about every time, and especially you know when I see him in these press conferences, which recently got a little bit weird talking about his future. Do you own or know anyone that owns Nick Nurse branded gear? <laughs> I actually, I own a sweater. I own a Nick do Nurse you? sweater. I, I had do. to know who is repping this man's. I mean, listen, I, I come from uh, Boston. We got TB12. That's yeah. GOAT. That's Tom yeah. Brady. Yeah, yeah, I, just yeah, yeah. I very rarely see people wearing TB12. <laughs> I can't imagine who watches the Nick Nurse press conference and goes, damn. I need Damn, I need that hat. I need yeah, that hat. No, yeah. no, no. Who's so, actually so, rocking this shit? Before so let me, let me clarify. Who's, sw- who's rocking this? The sweater I have, it says box and one. And then it has all, the list of all the players from the championship team. So I thought that was just a cool sweater to have. That It's not anything to do with Nick Nurse. It was a Nick Nurse sweater, but it's not technically a Nick Nurse sweater. I will say the merchandise thing came about in a very random way. He had... So apparently he wore a hat that kind of looked like it said NN mm-hmm. and then people assumed that it was merch and then he just decided to start selling it. I agree with you. I think this is also a factor in it. Nurse has become somewhat of a celebrity in Canada. Like he's doing TV shows. He does he, he coaches the national team, right? Yeah, he coaches the national mm-hmm. team, obviously. He yeah, he acts in TV shows. He is Wait, uh, does he? I didn't Yes, know he does. <laughs> yeah, he, he plays the guitar, obviously. So he's he's played with the Arkells, which are a Canadian band here. He did like a Prince cover uh, or in the off season last season. Yeah. So like there are these. By the way, for those of you not watching yeah. on YouTube, Adam's reaction to the Prince cover. <laughs> yeah. You just need to rewind about five, <laughs> 10 seconds here. That was perfect. <laughs> so there's like there's there's also that aspect, which is like he's become somewhat of a celebrity. I don't think there's not many coaches in the NBA that I can remember that have had this amount of lore around them. Um, and, and for better or for worse, right? Like I think that there's two sides to that argument, but yeah, it's, it's weird. Like I can't think of another, maybe Phil Jackson has had that type of lure around him when he's been in commercials, he's done things like that. Trying to think of other coaches, like has Doc Rivers been in commercials and things? I mean, he, maybe, I, I think you know? he has been in a couple. I, actually, I saw him in an M. Night Shyamalan commercial. Oh, did, oh, was recently, yeah. when the, whatever his newest movie that came out uh, like a few months ago, something right, in the right. cabin or whatever with, with Batista. Oh, right, right, right. right yeah, I saw yeah. him, but he's a he's a big Philly guy, right? He's at he's at every Philly yeah. game in in the front row. Yeah. Uh, it's just unique, man. It's just you know a coach with his own logo. That's just something I've never seen yeah. before. So I wanted I wanted to touch on that quick. But actually, let's, let's, let's reverse here. I'm gonna I'm gonna reverse this back a little bit. Reverse engineer. Okay. I want to go back to that roster building that that we talked about because I think this is a very interesting point. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I mentioned to you that I saw you talking on Twitter about the Raptors present this illusion of a versatility with their roster. Yeah. And for me, I think that's king in the NBA right now. You know, the versatility that you need to be able to either enforce your will or match somebody else who's trying to impose your will. Because this is a matchup league, so you need to adjust to those measures. If you only play one style, no matter how good you are at that one style, it takes one team with a counter to that, and and you're done. And we've seen that happen too many times in the NBA. And for the Celtics, that's one of my big beliefs of why I think this them in Milwaukee are the two teams I look to. Like I think they can play almost any style that they yeah. need to. And I look at them as they as as the favorites to certainly come out of the East and then probably win the NBA Finals. But when you talked about that, when in, in terms of the Raptors, expand a little bit on that. What is the sure. illusion of versatility that they present, and, and what and do you see the Celtics and others that do have that that could win a championship with it? Yeah, a very easy way to say this. So so the Celtics and Bucks, you actually put it perfectly. I wrote about the Sixers just today. Uh, dropped the article. Oh, we'll get to. That. Yeah, the 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 idea is actually sort of similar. I was trying to weigh how different the Sixers are compared to what they've been in prior seasons. And oh, by the way, is that difference going to mean they can upset the Celtics or upset the Bucks? The answer that I came to was a pretty resounding no. Although they've made some changes this year, uh, the the reason I say that is because look, the Bucks they can go big equally as the Celtics. Let's talk about them both uh, together. The Bucks and Celtics, they can both go big, right? They have the double big lineup that they can go to, but they can also go small. They can go small and they can play that, you know, four out, five out s- scheme that they would like to do. The Bucks can also put multiple ball handlers out there. So can the Celtics. The Celtics and Bucks have an abundance of shooting around them. But the one thing that the Raptors, if, and now let's go back to the Raptors, okay? And and actually, this is very similar to what the Los Angeles Clippers were dealing with uh, earlier on this, in the season as well. You have a bunch of guys who are from 6'6 six, six to 6'9 six, who virtually play the same position. But at the same time, you think that is versatile because the 6'6 six, six to 6'9 six, can potentially guard up. They can, they can guard your fours. They can maybe guard some fives. They can guard down. They can guard your ones and twos. So now you're like, oh, wow, we have this very versatile defensive scheme. But the thing that actually is 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 a, is the opposite of that is the fact that they can only do that. They can only be able to be this switch-heavy team. So now, you know, it's changed because they've added Jakob Pertl and, they've, and the Clippers, on the other hand, have added Mason Plumlee. They added some guard depth that really helped round out their roster. But both of those teams were just filled with forwards that replicated the same skill set. And when it comes to that, that's an illusion of versatility. That's you saying, oh, we're going to double down on a bunch of guys who are jack-of-all-trades instead of being able to hone in on a couple of specific skills that we lack in. So now the the skills that you lack in for the Raptors, shooting, it's, it's guard play, you are, are so desperate to find that that it makes it so that you have this illusion of versatility. You think you're versatile, but you're actually pigeonholing yourself because of the skills that you bring with your roster. If that makes any sense, let me know. Holla at your boy. It was very confusing, even when I was just listening to it. So let me know. I mean, I'm taking that very much as, hey, it's all well and good being able to switch switch one through five all you want, but yeah. if you don't have a secondary or tertiary defensive or offensive scheme that's going to, give you ways to attack teams once they figure out option plan A, 
then yeah, it is just an illusion. Granted, it's still a very good illusion. Like we're talking Penn and Teller level illusionist here because it's, <laughs> it's not easy to attack a switch everything team. And a team. Yeah. And I think a lot of people say switch everything or they label somebody as like a genuine one through four, one through five guy. When realistically, there is very few players that are genuine Absolutely. switch one through five. More can switch one through four, but predominantly they can switch two or three positions, right? Yeah. And that in itself is another illusion. By saying we've got six, nine guys that have good good foot movement, that have good hip dexterity so they can change change angles quickly, that doesn't necessarily mean that as a six, nine guy with good hip dexterity, you can hang with a, a an explosive guard. Yeah. Right? And like I think that part of the illusion is also something that a lot of teams kind of fall into that trap when they're building their roster. They're like, yeah, we, he can hang with guards until you're trying to hang with Jarma Morant. But now yeah. your scheme is contingent on you being able to switch onto Morant and not only do a good job, but hang with him around the rim as he explodes. So that's a really good point. Um, I, I just wanted to kind of give my, how I'd interpret that time kind of on top. You're right. Uh, and I think it's just like, it's not about for me and like, Will, you mentioned this off the top, but it's not about your versatility. It's about skill versatility. Like it's about being able to have different things you can go to, not just in being versatile. It's about like figuring out what are the, okay, if, if they're playing drop, we can attack, attack it like this. If they're, if they're showing high, okay, we can attack it like this. Not having that is what is the crutch that is the Raptors scheme right now. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example here. So Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam, in a lot of ways, they're the, a similar player. They can make plays. They're big. They're 6'9". They can, they can kind of finish in the post if they want to. They have a great downhill game, right? All this stuff is true, right? But it's not the fact that they play this similar position. It's that Thad Young. It's that OG Ananobi. It's that Chris Boucher. It's that Precious Achua. It's that Delano Banton. All of these guys play almost the exact same type of style. They need to play in transition. They they don't they don't give you any other skill. They are not giving you uh pure perimeter shooting. They are not giving you weak side rim protection. They are not giving you ball handling. The, these other things that Scotty and Pascal don't necessarily give you at a high rate. The other guys who play a similar position and do similar things also don't give you that. So now you have this one track mindedness in in skills and it ruins essentially any type of versatility that you think you have. So with that, there was one very key name that you didn't mention in that grouping, and that's Fred Van Vliet. And he's kind of the one guy that, you know, he's a smaller guy, ball handler. Shooting has not been there this year and is a big reason, I think, for, you know, the Raptors. I mean, he, he was so excellent, as you had mentioned, last year being an all-star. Yeah. And, you know, he's got a contract question kind of, kind of looming for this offseason. And when you look at this team going forward, you know, where are you, The you know, what you know about the Raptors front office? What is this offseason potentially looking like for Fred VanVleet and the Raptors? I think the Jakob Pertl trade was very indicative of what this this front office and this ownership team wants to do, and that's compete. Uh, they they want to they be a playoff team this year. Whether you agree with that or not, that is the direction they have chosen, is that, hey, with Jakob, we are going to be a playoff-type team. He's in and around the, the age of Fred VanVleet. I believe Jakob is 29. Fred is about to turn 30. Pascal is 29 as well. So they're all in that same age range. And they're looking to compete. Now, 
before the Jakob trade, I would have said, I don't agree with that <laughs> because giving up first round picks when you're not in a position in terms of talent or your, your talent pool to give up first round picks. I genuinely still disagree with that. No matter how good Jakob has been, Jakob has been awesome for this Raptors team. And he takes away some of that illusion of versatility that we were mentioning earlier because they can do different things now. But at the same time, they weren't in a position to give up first round picks and they did that in order to compete. So the the, the answer I would have for you is they, they're looking to compete, which means I assume they're going to re-sign Fred VanVleet. I assume they're going to re-sign Jakob Pertl. And I assume they're going to re-sign Gary Trent Jr., the thing that comes with that is that means that they will be a luxury team, which means either they end up trading one of their other core players, which is, you know, either Pascal Siakam or OG Ananobi or Scotty Barnes, or they they move a couple of their bench pieces to clear up that cap, which just goes back to, hey, they have no depth again. And they're there. Now there's another problem that you have to tackle next season. But yeah, I think that their goal is to compete. Uh, and I think they end up re-signing all those guys. And like, to earlier with the skill set thing, the reason there's so much dependence on Fred is because he's the only guy on the team who can give you that consistent perimeter shooting. He can give you that ball handling. He can create uh, in the pick and roll. These are things that the other Raptors guys just don't do at a high level, and it creates so much pressure on Fred to be the release valve of this team. Uh, and he just hasn't been able to do it as consistently this season. So that's that. It's it's a crutch. It it really is a crutch. This whole skill development thing. But yeah, that's that's what I would say. I mean, the one thing I want to point out is you say like they might trade OG, they might trade Pascal. That's still a good position to be in, right? Like it, yeah. as I said earlier, it's it's definitely going to be a retooling, not a rebuild. And OG has considerable value around the league. A lot of teams will feel like they can plug him into what they're doing and have a bit of an upgrade there. Siakam again, but I feel like the asking price might be a bit too high there. But I do think there's a way or there's a world in which Toronto could kind of round out that roster with a trade or two and then be right back as a top four, top five team in the East. Now, the problem is the East is deeper than it has been in well over a decade. Yeah, and probably will end up, you know, getting even deeper, right? Because of these young teams that are Yeah, coming. like Detroit's going to be really good. Orlando's going to be really good. And at that point, you have to ask, the, the question for me is, well, even if you retool, obviously we can't see the future. We don't know what trades are going to happen. Mm-hmm. But there's a good chance you still end up just in like Washington Wizards, NBA purgatory territory, yeah. right? And so it might be better to kind of tear it down now, let all of these good teams have their moments, their windows expire, and now when you're back on the come up, the only two teams you're really dealing with, if they navigate their rebuilds correctly, because it's one thing to develop talent, it's a second thing to actually keep that talent around, the only two teams you're going to have to deal with really are going to be Orlando and Detroit, because it's going to be five or six years until you've rebuilt and developed that talent again. That seems like a much more sustainable way for me, because I just don't know how you guys bring in top tier guys or top end guys that can get you competing with the Milwaukee's, the Boston's, the Philadelphia's. Um, that was me fake spitting. <laughs> the Philadelphia's of the world. Yeah, I I will say uh, that's funny. That's really funny. But um, I, I look, I agree with you, but I just don't think they're taking that route. Uh, it, it just doesn't seem like they're willing to. If you look back at what the Raptors have had to deal with over the last couple seasons, they missed an entire season of revenue when they were in Tampa. 
And then the next season, they missed an, another entire season of revenue because they didn't allow fans despite other teams allowing fans. So that's two seasons of ticket revenue that they essentially threw away. That means these these guys, they want to get their money back. Um, and and that that also means they want playoff games. They want playing games. I just checked the playing prices earlier today. It's it's ridiculous. Um, so that they're, they're looking to kind of cash in and they can't do that. If they're a developing team, they can't do that. If they're a retooling team, they ha- they can only convince people of paying the the high prices when they're a team that's trying to go to the playoffs, when they're a team that's trying to compete for whatever it is, even if it is playing stuff. So I I agree with you, but I don't think that aligns with what the Raptors front office and Raptors ownership group wants to do in this stage. And it's it's all it's tough because they're willing to give out first round picks top six protected um to be able to go and compete and it just it doesn't make sense right now the back end of their talent pool is relying on guys like malachi flynn and delano banton and uh joe weiss camp and jeff doughton and it's like look yeah those guys maybe at some point turn into anything but you're not really competing with any other potential like young groups with that with that core you're banking on scotty barnes being this outlier guy who can become an all-star very very quickly that's essentially what they're banking on and i think we we talked about this last time at the podcast but like they're banking on scotty being that swing factor the guy who connects the bridge between the young guys and the old guys and he if he becomes an all-star next year now you're looking at okay pascal's an all-star level player Scotty's an all-star level player, Fred, Gary, OG. Now you have a nice core around these two all-stars. See if you can compete from there. But it really does depend on on how Scotty's trajectory goes for the next couple of seasons, which just is tough. Jumping. It's tough to do. I just want to say they need revenue. That completely explains the Nick Nurse wear point from earlier in the episode. I just wanted mm-hmm. to point that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a point that I really had not thought of that that I think is really interesting because, right, that's two full years that, that you're missing a really solid revenue. I mean, a lot of the NBA is hurting from that, but even more yeah. so in Toronto with the move and, and, you know, down to Tampa for the year and then having to, you know, have, having stricter COVID rules. So, you know, you said you were checking the, the play-in tournament tickets. And, you know, let's talk a little bit about that because, the you know, I'm going to put in quotations of winner of, of the play-in tournament. I don't know how, I don't know, still, <laughs> still don't know where that lives in this realm of the NBA play-ins, <laughs> kind of in its own little purgatory. So, you know, the winner of that will get the seven seed. And we talked, you know, briefly right now uh, at the beginning of the pod, you know, the Raptors are now one game behind the Hawks with two to go basically their only path to getting into that 7-8 matchup against the Heat is they need to win out, which includes Friday night against the Celtics, and then they actually need the Hawks to lose out, which actually includes Sunday, the Hawks come to Boston to conclude the season. So, y'all are going hard against the Celtics and then rooting hard for the Celtics on Sunday night. So, when you look at the Raptors and their play-in expectations, and, you know, right now it looks more likely that they'll end up hosting that 9-10 game and then having to go on the road to the loser of that Miami Atlanta series you know what is the feeling of this team getting into the playoffs because they're going to be in that play-in but what is the the feeling of them actually being able to potentially win two games just to even get into the actual playoffs yeah I think uh on a one game basis uh we've seen this before but like shooting is so crucial who you show up and who's knocking down shots. And the Raptors have shown this season that they just cannot consistently do that. Uh, so it it's, I would be 
remiss to say that they're going to go ahead and go like win this playing tournament, end up as the eight seed or the seven seed, because it's really hard for me to convince myself that this team can consistently stack wins uh, against good teams. They have struggled against the Hawks pretty much all season. So if the Hawks end up being the team that they have to play in the eight, nine, I think they probably lose that game. The shot creation, the 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 juice, the offensive juice that the Hawks have mixed with the defensive things that the Hawks can throw out the Raptors. I, I think that's that's kind of the way I would lean right now. Uh, I think when it comes to Raptors Bulls, the the Raptors have done pretty well against Chicago, so I do expect them to win that game. Uh, they've thrown out some things at them defensively that I think Chicago struggles to deal with, uh, whether that be like like they're they're forcing Vucevic to essentially be this outside perimeter shooting guy and yes he he has shown that before but he's inconsistent in his own right. So it's going to come down to shooting man. These playing games that they've shown in the past that it really just comes down to who's shooting the ball better um uh, in these one-off games. Raptors haven't been able to say they're a good shooting team all season. So that's where I lie there. I'll put this out on Twitter probably 2 days ago. Uh, it's a question that I've been asking myself a bunch, right? So I'm going to ask you to put yourself in the Celtic shoes at this point. So mm-hmm. the Raptors at the moment, let me just double check. I've got this math right. Yeah. A one game behind the Hawks. So there yep. is a world where you guys can finish eighth and then be in that, that first round playing where if you win, you go straight in. If you lose, you still got a chance to make it right. Right. Yeah. From a Celtics perspective, would you be more concerned facing Toronto? Or would you be more concerned facing Miami? Because the thing with Toronto is over a seven-game series, I think that you guys have so much length to be disruptive on the defensive mm-hmm. end. I think Achua can give you a lot of um, upside on the boards. And then that transition game plays directly into where Boston's weaknesses lie are defensively themselves, right? Yeah. Whereas Miami, it's very much a, hey, we're just going to bruise you until you either crumble or win and then you're going to be hurt for the next round. So I'm just curious, if you were on our side, like looking in, would you, yeah. where would your kind of fear be? I'm going to be honest with you. If uh, In an ideal world, I think it would be the Raptors, but the Raptors have been less than ideal this season. Uh, they just If this was last year's Raptors team, I would say, yeah, I think you'd be looking at a tough out. But no, it's very clearly Miami. And, and Miami has played some good games against y'all this season. Uh, I have had the chance to watch a couple of them. Jimmy Butler had some really, really good games against y'all too. Uh, I think so, right? If I'm if I'm misremembering, no, unfortunately, yeah. you're right. I'm, I'm yeah. already exhausted <laughs> thinking about a Celtics yeah. Miami series. I'm just so over it. those series. Yeah, I feel so I feel it. like that'll be a grind, man. I I think it's it's one of those series where you look at it and you're like, okay, so Philly is going to end up playing Brooklyn. That's probably going to be a four or five game series. But Boston on the other side might have to play a six game series or a seven game series, even depending on how good Miami's supporting cast is and the shooting and whatnot. But I don't know, man. I, I think it's it's like no question I would rather play Toronto than Miami this season. And and while there are some things, I agree with you, that, that the Raptors can throw out on the Celtics to, to make it a little bit harder on them, I just think that shooting variance, the difference between the Celtics getting hot and hitting 23s, 33, you know what I mean, 23s in, in a night versus the Raptors going, I think they went 3 of 20 between Fred and OG last night. You, you're that you're not going to be winning that many basketball games like that. So Yeah, that just ain't going to get it done. I think you're right, and I think a little bit of it is just the Jimmy Butler factor, right? It's the respect of Jimmy, and I I think he kind of is the the trump card in all of this when you look at the two teams because I actually think, you know, the the Heat and Raptors have a little bit of similarities in the fact that they both like to go long. You know, we talked about that 
versatility that sometimes isn't always versatility, right? right? Yeah. The, the Heat have a little bit of that too, and they've been living on the margins, just like you talked about the back end development of the Raptors. My first thought was, oh, that's kind of the Heat plan, which is they're running on fumes right now with having Absolutely. the Martins yeah. of the world, the Struces. They found Duncan Robinson, they got Gabe Vincent, all guys that turned into more. Than you expected but still when you when you mess with boston you mess with the bucks you mess with the sixers at the end of the day that's only going to take you so far especially yeah. when i know this is going to pain you a little bit when your guy kyle lowry i said this the other day he's kyle lowry and <laughs> yeah, he not in game anymore he, man he, he's, yeah he's he just, ain't the same anymore man it's, it's same. all good listen we we knew we knew that yeah <laughs> that was that was that was kind of heading down that path so i i i knew that was going to happen but yeah, it's tough to see my guy Kyle struggle like this. It's tough, man. It's tough. Yeah. So, so you know, for the Celtics, I think Miami, like you said, I'm just I'm already tired thinking about what that series is going to look like. I'm hoping yeah. it's a five game series, but I'm you know with Spo, Bam, and and Jimmy, I expect it to go maybe six. I would hope not seven because that's a big thing for the Celtics for me this year going into it is closing out series when they need to early and games of how long they went in. I mean, they go hand in hand. They're, yeah, they're, it's hand in hand. We've seen it. We know the script. And that's the part that yeah. gives me anxiety heading into the postseason. So let's let's switch here and kind of look a little bit holistically. And let's start just with the Eastern Conference for right now, sure. because I know as we had you on the beginning of the year and your pick was the Philadelphia 76ers <laughs> to come out. And I know you said earlier, oh, you got man. a piece coming out about, or just came out. It's about out. The it's six, out. It's yeah. out right now. Go check it out uh, about the Sixers. Are they different enough? And you kind of, you know, you, you teased it earlier. You mentioned that your answer ultimately in this piece is that they're not different enough. So when you yeah. look at the East and you look at, you know, obviously the Celtics chances, what are you seeing from who has the, the best opportunity to get out of the East and where are you leaning in that yeah. regard? Uh, man, I, I, I was uh, even in the article that I just wrote, I mentioned, I was like, look, in an effort to be bold, I was saying, let's pick the Philadelphia 76ers to win the NBA championship. Because if there's any season, for this team to figure it out, it's this season. Because, look, they have everything they they could have asked for. This is the deepest team Joel Embiid has ever had, a team that makes sense around him more than it ever has. James Harden is playing well as the second fiddle, although we'll see what happens in the playoffs. Joel Embiid has looked like an MVP. He's probably going to end up winning the MVP. This is, the, this is their chance. And it's tough to say that because the two other teams, the two other teams that are very clearly better than them, are in their own conference, which means that they probably have a chance of being a second round out. And the Celtics have had their number all season. We talk about closing games. That second Celtics-Sixers game at the end, where the Sixers essentially just let go of the rope, they gave the Celtics an opportunity to, to potentially upset them in that game. I, I think it goes back to showing that like the Celtics and Bucks are just very clearly ahead of the Sixers and it comes down to what we've essentially, this is the theme of the podcast, their ability to do different things. The Celtics can go big. They can go small. They can play differently. The, the Sixers just can't do that. The, the Sixers can't go big at all. And when they go small, they leave themselves exploited to a lot of defensive problems. So it just, my answer comes back to, it's going to be between Milwaukee and Boston. And I guess I'll throw the question back out to you guys. Like, how do you guys feel in a Milwaukee-Boston series in terms of decision-making, in terms of Missoula, in terms of, hey, how is the shooting going to look? How is the offense going to look? I, I had Chris Herring on the pod last week, and the question I threw out to him was like, okay, what falters first, Milwaukee's defense or Boston's offense? 
what is your question? Like, what is your answer to that question? I guess I'll throw it back to you guys. What do you think is the first thing that breaks in a potential Boston-Milwaukee series? Is it Milwaukee's defense that cracks, or is it Boston's offense and their their trusted system that has, has done them well all season? I mean, it hasn't done them well all season. It's done well <laughs> of the season. The problem with... I've said this, I've harped on this all season long because... With Emeo Doka, it is very much what cracks first and other teams' offense or Boston's defense, right? Mm-hmm. And the problem I have when you're facing a team that's elite defensively is that nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of 100, defense is effort-based. It's effort and communication. It can be replicated day after day after day after day. And there's very little variance involved because it's a repeatable action. Yeah. Offense has some form of variance in it where, you know, if shots aren't falling, they're not falling. It might not be your night. There's, obviously, it's still a repeatable action, but there's a, a shooting variance. It's called shooting variance for a reason. So I feel like if whenever you're facing a team that can have that high-level defense because their effort's there, they've got the, the skill set there, the player dynamics, the communication, that's always going to be more likely to stand strong over a larger sample size than a team based on shooting where that variance, unless you have someone like Steph Curry in the roster, that variance is always going to crap up. I think Yeah, I saw someone, I remember speaking to someone the other day and they were like, um, well, I'm sure you saw this in the Celtics block chat and they were like, I've done the math. The Celtics have a bad shooting game once every eight games. Yeah. Shout out to Bill Side, the Celtics yeah. guy. That was his <laughs> bad. Yeah. But it's like, dude, when they're putting the same effort in, the same community, no, you'd, you'd hope, the same communication, they're running the same actions. It's a repeatable thing, but there's a variance involved. So I'm always going to be more concerned about the team that's defensively sound than the team that's offensively sound without a Steph Curry in that lineup. Right, yeah. But, you know, to that point, like, like as I almost think it's, you know, not trying to, to duck the question, but I almost think it's reverse as to what, as to what might determine the series because you look at Milwaukee's offense and – they have a few more holes in their offense than sometimes we care to acknowledge because they have Giannis, right? Yeah. They have Giannis, and then a lot of times we lean into, well, Middleton hasn't been healthy. And at least from what I've seen, I haven't been sold that Middleton is back to being Middleton. And that's yeah. what And he just I hurt think, his knee too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is the third different type of injury he's had, you know, yeah. all season. Some are, are, are recurring. And so that's the part for me where I think last year, when you look at that series, and it gets highlighted, obviously, that Middleton was out. I think a lot of people forget Rob didn't play in four of those games, and Rob was not himself in the three games he played. Marcus missed at least one, if not two, of those games. So not to say that those necessarily equal out, but it wasn't as if Boston was 100%. And then both teams have made additions with Crowder, Ingles, Brogdon, and such. Like, there's additions on each side. So it's going to be a different series. And when I look at, you know, the Celtics' defense versus Milwaukee's offense, that's where I think there's an advantage. I think that our defense matches up you know, as well as you can when you have Giannis, you know, I think you saw a little bit of that. I'm not going to put everything into the game from about a week or so ago when the Celtics won by 40, but you saw the way that they defended Giannis and are going to make other people beat them. Mm-hmm. Drew Holiday is amazing. Drew Holiday, I think, is the best defensive guard in the league. I say that with the, the with the reigning defensive player of the Stop. year on the Celtics. Hey, listen, he's in our logo. That's my guy. Love Marcus Smart, but I, I think it's Drew Holiday. I just, for my money, it's Drew Holiday, but I think last year in that seven-game series, and this was without Middleton, you put so much offensive responsibility on Holiday, and I don't think he's that guy to carry that, and that's why they need Middleton. And if Middleton's not going to be the Chris Middleton, who has been a Celtic killer, if he's not going to be that guy, 
I'm okay living with whatever Giannis is going to do because there's there's only slowing down Giannis. There's no stopping Giannis. Same for mm-hmm. Embiid and Yoke and some of these guys. You just try to slow them down over a seven-game series, and you're going to need hot shooting Jay Crowder. You're going to yeah. need Joe Ingles to kind of reverse the clock a little bit. You're going to need Wes Matthews or Pat Connaughton to go ahead and get hot. And I'm not positive that, that that's going to happen with the Bucks. It might. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Giannis factor. So I think this is a series that's going to be – like this is one for me – these are the two best teams in the NBA, I think, hands down. Yeah. And I think the winner of that can be if they can if they can get out of that series with the right amount of health. I think it's hard to look at a team in the West that, that they're not going to be favored against unless there's something that happens. So I, I think the Bucks offense versus the Celtics defense is going to be probably for me wh- where the series is is won and lost and how that matchup kind of shifts out. And you know, I, I think for me, I, there's no way I don't see that series going seven. It just feels like it's a collision course. And right. that it's going to go seven to determine who gets to the finals. Yeah, I think so. And I, man, I mean, home court ends up being such a big factor there too. Obviously, Milwaukee getting it. I, um, I, I agree with you. I think there is an angle to look at it from the opposite side, where it's like, hey, how does how does Boston's defense um, really throw a wrench in some of the stuff that Milwaukee does? I, I'm curious, man. I, I think that that series is probably the quote unquote NBA Finals. Uh, yeah. I, I know. Like we can we can talk about the West and who might come out of there, but it really does come down to those two teams. And when it comes to Philly, man, like they would have to play a perfect series for them to beat you guys. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that they can do a perfect yeah. series. I mean, we, you know? we we talked off air like the the game that you know Joel Embiid just had, which maybe cements his his MVP case. Yeah, but. That took, I mean, you look at Tobias Harris's numbers, Tyrese Maxey's numbers in that game, they're pretty bad. They're not, they're not great. They needed, you know, PJ Tucker is such a reluctant shooter that I've gotten to the point where I think PJ Tucker's a little bit over overrated at, at at this point. So good luck to them with that three-year deal that they got him on. Yeah. But I mean, he had to knock down those and to his credit, he did. He knocked down three shots in the in the fourth quarter that yeah. You know, even that corner shot, he's become reluctant to take. And mm-hmm. so if he's going to do that, that's great. That's, you know, I, I joked on our last pod, we got Grant Williams. You know, P.J. Tucker threw the Grant Williams yeah, in our much, face. Yeah. You know, go yeah. ahead and beat us. That's going to be your option. Go ahead and beat us. And, you know, I think they're another team that just lacks the the certain mm-hmm. versatility that, that we talk about. And you highlighted all those different reasons earlier. And it's going to take Embiid, one, staying healthy. And two, it's going to take him just going, you know, kind of supernova for him to yeah. to really be able to do that so you know right now let's you know as we have a couple minutes here before we we wrap up you know let's just scope out and you can take this anywhere you want s what are the storylines in the or, or what's your what's the what's your favorite storyline you're looking forward to in this upcoming postseason which i think is going to be epic by the way i think this is yeah, gonna fantastic matchups all around the league is so deep what's what's your favorite storyline that, that you're looking for I'm going to be honest, the, the, my favorite storyline does not reside in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I Let's think go. just just the craziness of the West is what is my favorite storyline. I mean, when you look at it, there's Denver, there's, um, there's obviously Memphis, there's Sacramento, there's Phoenix, and that's your top four. But I think all four of those teams have upset potential. The, the the Clippers, the Warriors, the Lakers, the Pelicans, they can all really throw a wrench in some of the things that those four can do. So it, it depending on what shakes out over the last, you know, two days, three days of the season, it'll depend. It'll 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 essentially give us the best matchups possible regardless. This is going to be the most matchup dependent basketball we've seen in a very long time. The playoffs are usually matchup dependent. But when it comes to this season, the parity that we've seen, the back and forthness, 
this is going to be like the most matchup dependent type of basketball ever. I think that's the the key storyline here is like, look, the Warriors as the sixth seed or the seventh seed can maybe make it to the NBA finals. And it really just is because of matchups. They match up against the Sacramento Kings well. And then in the second round, they match up well against the Memphis Grizzlies or whoever else they'd have to face. And boom, the Warriors are in the Western Conference Finals as a six or a seven seed. So I just, to me, the matchups are, are the biggest part of this. I don't think that applies as much in the Eastern Conference. I think there is a very clear cut top four or five that are like, these are the teams that are going to win in the first round. There's no question. Second round, it gets a little bit more matchup dependent. But even then, I, we've talked about it earlier. Milwaukee and Boston, Boston are just clear-cut better than any team they'd face in the second round. So that's what I think. Uh, uh, he said everything well. <laughs> <laughs> he hit it all. He did it perfectly. Well, you yeah. know what? That's, that's, that's going to be a good place uh, for us to, to wrap this episode. S, uh, appreciate you coming on, man. Anytime, sure, anytime man. I see rappers on the schedule, first name that comes to mind is we got to hit up S, see for what sure, he's man. got cooking, man. And, you know, Adam and I were saying, man, we love seeing you out here kind of shining, doing your oh, thing. Yo, I, sure, I, I like these little travel docs you've been you got going on here, man. Couple I like them times. too, man. Taking I like- some road trips. We got any playoff <laughs> road trips coming? What's the deal? What you got? Cooking? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil things, but like, yeah, I Give might us a little tease, a little might, tease out here. Might, might, maybe. I'm hoping. I'm, I'm getting. A phone, I'm waiting for a phone call today, but I, uh, I'm hoping that I can go to Sacramento for their first playoff Yo, game. Light the beam. Um, yeah, be able to light the beam. I think that would be awesome to to do a little travel documentary on, if as you will. Uh, and then we'll see. We'll see what happens from there. Who knows where they'll send me. But yeah, that's the that's the hope. Fingers crossed, if you will. So I just want to point man. out, I met S back when Spotify Live was still locker room. Right? Yeah, man. And yeah. we were doing a lot of R.I.P. Like, R.I.P. Spotify Live. Well, so R.I.P. Spotify Live. Put, right? This is exactly yeah. where I'm coming from, right? Like, yeah. you know, back in lockdown when no one really, when that became like that audio, social audio became like such a big thing. Oh yeah, like, like got to know S quite well, and now it's like, damn, I've known you that long that we've that the social <laughs> audio app has been sold, rebranded, yeah. redeveloped, and folded, and we're all still going, man. We're so, all still yeah. here, man. We're it's, all still uh, here and kicking. Good knowing, it's good seeing you out here thriving, man. Uh, when I, I met S, he was doing some video content for the score. Now yeah. he's setting the score straight with some dope ass documentaries <laughs> and some awesome articles, man. So, Appreciate yo, man, it was a pleasure. Thank Yo, you, man, man. Uh, let, let us know where we can find your, your podcast right now and uh, when it drops so people can go ahead and subscribe to that as well. Yeah, for sure. Tuesdays and Fridays, uh, every Tuesday and Friday, the Objective Basketball Podcast. You can find it on all the uh, streaming platforms and whatnot. Man, I appreciate you guys. Will, Adam, uh, as always, the the only tolerable Celtics people that I can talk. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> he's not kidding. But, he's not kidding. Yeah, he's not, he's just, not kidding. I, we the best, baby. I get I get hate. I, I'm just trying to figure out where I could where I can come in and be be an advocate for Celtics folks, but I guess not, man. I guess the not. DJ Khaled of Celtics podcast. That's right, man. <laughs> yeah. as, as get in where you fit in, and you always fit in with us, man. So appreciate you, man. we uh we appreciate you coming through. That's gonna do it for this episode of Green with Emily. We'll be back on the weekend with a little three-man weave plus some more content we're going to sprinkle in there as well so make sure you're following us across all the socials that we got but for this episode that's going to do it and you're going to hear a little bit of black sheep optimist on the way out here from my guy greg manakis and his band down here in austin texas y'all take care have a beautiful day peace, peace. bye
How is it that I never seen the stars in your eyes? A glimpse of what I'm missing, thinking it's a mirage Ooh, you got me tripping and it's hard to describe But I stay for a minute cause I'm digging the vibe I like the way you're looking at the look in my eyes Don't be casual feelings when it's only a vibe Don't know what the deal is, I'm a typical guy You know the one thing different is the state of your mind I'm like, oh my, my, someone throw me a rope I'm getting too damn high, didn't know I could float You could call it a vibe, it's probably all that she wrote But I'd be doing this shit finally if I didn't have hope Cause you know that that embodied that's what go with the flow I can sing a different song if I cannot hit the notes You had me taking off when you took off your clothes It should be coming down by now, but I won't Let's go.